0: you know, if I could, if I could have all the dads stand up for a second. Don't cheer for them yet, but if all the dads could stand up. On uh, Mother's Day, we uh, gave out carnations uh, to all the moms and all the women in the church, but I kept thinking that men are a little bit more competitive. So what we did was we had this great little frisbee right here, and uh, we're going to pass, I'm going to pass these out, and you're to catch them. Now, there's one gentleman that's over here that has a baby, so I won't hit you, Chris. Um, but um, I'll try to I'll try to do my best. And if you get one of the, every every guy is going to get one, so don't well go for it. But anyways, here we go. So there's one there. All right, look, okay, that wasn't very good. Let me see if I can do that better on this side here. Let's, no, that's still the same place.
1: <laughs> All right,
0: let me do it over here to the back. Well, about took the baby out. All right. Hold on. Here we go. There's one. <laughs> Old Gene got one there. Okay. Let's see. That's horrible. Um, okay. One last one. All right. There we go. Okay. Well, now keep standing, guys. Keep standing. Um, so uh, next, uh, when you leave, every single father will get a Frisbee, so make sure that you get one uh, before you take off. And uh, ladies, what I'd like to do is around you are some great dads who love God and uh, who live for God and love their kids. And so I want us in just a second for you to hoot and holler, just like, like HGTV when it comes on. And, and just imagine that it really is happening to your house, okay? Like it really is happening to that. And how excited you would be for that to happen, okay? So, on the count of three, we'll uh, give a hoot and holler for all of our dads and men of the church. One, two, three. Yay! Yay for the dads. Okay, well, guys, let me pray for you right now. Uh, You can stay standing and uh, then uh, we'll go on, but let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much that most of all that you are our heavenly father who cares for us in so many ways. And, God, we are so grateful to be called your kids. And, God, I pray for each dad that's standing up here today that you would move in their lives, that they would uh, continue to honor you. Uh, in all ways, that uh, you would be able to uh, use their gifts and their talents uh, to impact the lives of their kids, that they would be men of character and of conviction, that they would walk through life knowing that uh, you are with them and that they would walk through life with a real sense uh, that you have called them uh, to be a model for their kids and for their grandkids. And so, God, I pray a blessing upon our dads. Um, and that you would move in their lives and uh, use them for your glory and honor. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's give it for our dads one more time there. Well, something that I've noticed in life is that every time a person talks about their dad, it often stirs up uh, emotion within them. And for some people, when they talk about their dad, Uh, there are tears that begin to flow, and they don't stop. And for others, uh, when they think of their dads, their fists kind of, uh, or their hands ball up into a fist, and they're so frustrated because they feel like uh, they were, you know, given a second hand, that they were not given the dad that they deserved. And then for others, they remember their dads with joy and laughter, Uh, Because of the great relationship. But regardless of who you are, all of us, in one way or another, we have an emotion that stirs up within us when we think about our dads. And when it's Dad's Day, when it's Father's Day, uh, we focus in on remembering uh, the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, which says this. And uh, let's read this out loud together. Honor your father and mother. Let's say it again. Honor your father and mother. And for some of us, when Dad's Day comes on the calendar, we immediately think of the gift that we're going to buy, or we cook them a meal, or we send a card to them uh, to let them know how much they mean to us. But others of us, what happens is we get handcuffed. Because the reality is, for many of us in this room and in this world, One of the most painful relationships that we have in this life is the relationship that we have with our dad. And every time we think of them, we don't think of honor. And it becomes very difficult for us to process that relationship. And I get this. But for the next few moments, what I want to do is I want to take a stab at how we can honor our father regardless of the relationship. That we've had with them. So the question really becomes that first word, what does it mean to honor? Well, to honor someone means that you show them respect and you take stock in them of the good that they've done to your life. And then you actually give a blessing back to them, you communicate that to them. Now, let me say this very clearly honor does not mean trust. Honor does not mean that you fully trust the person. It means you give them respect for the impact that they've made in your life. And even if you didn't know your dad or you had a terrible dad, you can honor that person today for the fact that they at least helped in the process of bringing you to planet Earth. So all of us, regardless of who we are, we can honor our father. Over the last few weeks, I've uh, sent out... uh, email and called people uh, to ask them uh, to share with me what were some of the good gifts that their father had given to them and uh, some of my friends sent stuff back to me and uh, one of them uh, told me this about his dad. He said this, um, it'll come up on the side screen, Uh, he said, my dad gave me memorable moments. He said there were moments that my dad made, he said in particular it dealt with camping and he talked about camping with his dad. Here's the next thing tinkering with stuff. Uh, his, his dad was an inspector uh, for bridge painters. Uh, and so he loved to tinker and work with his hands. And so the two of them would do home improvement projects together. And he said, that's one of the good gifts that my dad gave to me. And then an appreciation for the value of hard work. That, he said, you know, at a very early age, he taught me the value of work. And my, my friend that shared this with me, uh, he's one of the hardest workers I know. Another guy uh, whose dad just recently died um, sent me a couple of things for his. He said, first of all, he taught me to be a leader, not a follower. That he said uh, his dad was a leader in the medical field. And uh, that he said that as he went into the work world and he had to manage people, that he didn't want to be a follower. He wanted to know how to help lead people into uh, whatever the task was they were doing. And then the other thing he gave was respect for others. He said, my dad, uh, regardless of whether the person was rich or poor, whether they were a person of power or whether they were just a person uh, on the street, he always instilled within me that sense of respecting others. Another guy that I talked to, he said, my dad uh, told me to be kind hearted. And he said he was one of the kindest uh, fathers. And he said, I've learned that that I needed to do that. Whether it's a friend or family or stranger, he said, my dad is just kind uh, to everyone. The other thing he said was that my dad taught me how to smile and laugh, and it was a gift that he gave me. And uh, he said, no matter what you, know, uh, life face, what, what you face in life, uh, to smile and laugh. And this guy is 81 years old, and I went to a graduation when, uh, of his granddaughter uh, last Saturday. And he knows that we meet in the YMCA. And uh, often he'll come up to me uh, and he'll say, you meet in the Y like this, YMCA. I mean, 81 years old, and he just has a spirit of joy. And to smile and laugh is what my friend learned. And the last thing was the love of studying the Bible, that his dad um, would spend time really wanting to learn more about what the Bible meant. And he had a picture uh, that he would say he would remember his dad Uh, you know, being there uh, and reading uh, scripture together. Now, another guy uh, returned my email when I said, what good gifts uh, do you have um, that your dad gave to you? Uh, I don't think he quite got it right because this is what he told me. He said the first good gift was a 1988 football banner uh, of the Notre Dame football team. The second gift, he said, was a train. And the last gift he said it was a cassette tape of the Beatles. So I don't think he quite got the idea of gifts. So when we talk about gifts that we receive uh, from our fathers today, I'm not talking about those monetary gifts. I'm talking about those good gifts within us that work through, uh, that we're able to use for the rest of our life. Now, I'm going to share with you uh, five good gifts that I received from my dad uh, and that I have received from him. And my list is a little bit longer than some of my friends that I shared with you, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have a better dad than them. It just means that I have to teach a long time so I uphold my reputation, okay? That didn't work in the first one either, so we'll try to get better. X that out. All right, so here's the first gift, good gift that I got from my dad, and it was stability. Stability. Uh, I felt a sense of security growing up as a kid. Uh, I lived in the same house. I went to the same church. I was in the same school system. And uh, I had the same friends for the first 14 years of my life. And we had stability at the very onset. My dad had the same job for the first 14 years growing up. And he contributed Uh, A real sense, uh, or it contributed to me, a real sense of security and stability in my life. And so uh, I see it as a blessing that I had such a stable life. Um, Because uh, over the past 20 years, as I've been a pastor, I've talked to many people who, when they talk about their formative years, they don't talk about stability. But here's some of the things people told me. My dad couldn't hold a job. He had a drinking problem. We were evicted from our apartment. He divorced and remarried three times. Our cars got repossessed. I couldn't settle in and make friends because everything was always in a state of constant chaos. And folks, to be honest, when I've heard these stories, it's hard for me to relate because the reality is that wasn't my childhood. I knew my mom and dad were going to stay together, and they created stability for me. I knew that there would be food on the table. I knew that there would be clothes in the closet. I knew that I'd go to the same school system. I would be in the same uh, church the entire time. I would make friends, and these would be lifelong friends for the rest of my life, which many of them I still have. And that basic sense of security allowed me as a kid to be a kid. I didn't have to make adult choices. I didn't have to think about adult things. I was simply able to be a kid. And I've come to understand that that is a wonderful gift that my father gave to me. And you know what? I know dozens and dozens of guys here in the jar that are making that exact same commitment. You're choosing stability for your family and for your kids. Over other things. My dad could have had higher paying jobs. He could have had more prestigious places that he could go and do something. But he chose stability. And there are many dads in the same place that are doing the same thing. And I just want to commend you dads for saying that the stability of our kids is so important. And you might think to yourself, that's not a big deal. Believe me, folks, it's a huge deal. All statistics tell us that if they have that stability when they're growing up, they become more productive, healthy adults. The second gift my dad gave to me may sound a little bit odd at first, but it is a strong sense of personhood. It's a strong sense of personhood. My dad knew who he was and he still knows who he is today. He knows what he wants, he knows what he likes, he knows what he doesn't like, he knows what his life is all about. No one would ever accuse my dad of having an identity crisis. Now, in him having a real strong personality, um, it didn't always jive, though, uh, with me growing up. For example, my dad was a uh, director of a church camp for one week a year for over three decades. And during middle school, he was my director. And when he would show up, he would show up with combat boots, black socks, shorts that showed his white legs, and a white t-shirt that showed his nipples. (laughs) And it's not something, when you're in middle school, that you want to be able to say, that's my dad. Okay, it's just not what you want. But he wore these same combat boots, I think because he went to Korea for the war, and he, he was a clerk. So when he went to church camp, he became the general, and he started barking out orders, you know. And he did this all the time, and it was so embarrassing. But he had a strong sense of his personhood, and he didn't care. My dad today is still a very simple dresser. He has clothes that he's had for the last 20 years. He wears them over and over again. He just doesn't care. My dad worked for General Motors for the first 10 years of his life, or his work life, as a uh, tool and die maker. And uh, I was asking him this week, I was like, well, what kind of living did you make? And he said, well, if you put in uh, the overtime, which I got a lot, He said, I made close to $32 an hour, and that was in the late 1960s. He said, we called it Generous Motors back then. But this is the thing. At 10 years into it, he decided that he felt this call from God to leave General Motors. He only had 20 years left, and he would have been retired and set for life. But he felt this call from God to leave the wealth And become a pastor. He had to go back to get his bachelor's degree. Then he had to go on to get his graduate degree. He finally got his doctorate. But he did all of that. And he told me that his parents did everything to tell him. Even saying, this is not of God for you to do this. But again, he was a person of conviction. He's a person who knew his own sense of personhood. And like I've shared before, he would often tell me, he said, during those times I had to keep on keeping on. And Chris, you be your own man. You keep on keeping on. And this has served me really well. It served me well when we first started the church, and not everyone was so excited that there was a brand new church that was starting because other pastors thought we would be stealing people away from them. And yet I remember those words when I got ridicule and people would write mean, nasty emails to me. You just keep on keeping on. My uh, dad's strong sense of personhood was a huge gift to me. And it's one that I'll never forget. Guys and daughters, or uh, guys, I, I just want you to know that your sons and daughters, so all the men, all your sons and daughters, they're looking for a father who will have a strong personhood. They're longing for a dad who will love God and follow God no matter what, and they'll do it in a strong, convicting kind of way. And you get the choice to do that. You get the choice every single day when you wake up, will you make God the center of your family? And if so, in doing, then you'll have sons and daughters who will follow you for a lifetime. And when you do this, folks, it... It's something that rocks the world of kids and they want to do anything to be able to follow in that same example. We have many dads in this place who do exactly that. They have this strong conviction to follow Christ and love Him. And your kids see that and I cannot commend you enough for following in that kind of footstep. God is so proud of fathers who make him first. The third gift that my dad gave to me was a strong work ethic. A strong work ethic. Growing up as a kid, uh, we had a huge garden uh, that we basically used uh, to feed our family. And my mom canned and uh, my dad and all the kids, we had to go out and we had to pick all the stuff. And uh, my dad had a strong work ethic. And I remember on Saturday mornings, uh, when other kids were like watching cartoons, at 7 o'clock in the morning, he would knock on the door and he goes, today is a day to work in the garden. And I remember my brother and sister and I would be like, oh, are you serious? He's like, today's going to be a great day. We're going to go out there. We're going to pick green beans and strawberries. It's going to be awesome. And so we get out there and we start picking all this stuff. And uh, everyone had to be a part of it. And we would work until noon or 1 o'clock. And then he'd say, okay, we're all done. he's like, wasn't that a great day of working in the garden? And we're like, no. But I learned very early the importance of having a strong work ethic. And I think about the fact that I've never heard my dad ever complain about working. Even when he wasn't compensated well, you know, I talked about that $32 an hour thing that he did. When he went into the pastoral ministry, his first year, he made $4,000. And so even when he wasn't compensated well, he worked hard. And he couldn't understand, and he still doesn't understand, why people don't work. He loved every job he had. He tells me stories about them all the time. In fact, when uh, he and my mom moved here to Muncie, the first thing he asked is, like, uh, can I work at the church? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so now two days a week, he actually volunteers his time to work at the church office. And then also uh, he works on the pastoral care team and he does counseling for some people. And it's great now to go to work. And there's my dad, you know, we're like working together. But don't think I don't remember the combat boots. So the very first day when he started working there, I was like, I'm your boss. No combat boots, okay? And uh, he still has them today. He still wears them. I don't know what's up with that, but, you know, whatever. Colossians 3.23 says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord. And my dad has lived that life. And it's a tremendous gift of demonstrating to me a sense of a strong work ethic. And the reality is I love my job. I wake up each morning and I'm grateful to God for what I get to do and the lives I get to see changed and people growing closer to God. I, I wouldn't want any other job. I love what I get to do. And it's a direct result the sense that I was able to see a father who had a strong work ethic and who never complained about work, he was willing to do that. There are many dads in this place today that you guys work hard. You do a really good job at the work that you do and your kids see that and they're grateful for it and they will have a benefit in their life when they continue to watch a father who knows how to work hard. Fourth thing that he gave me, was stretching opportunities, stretching opportunities. I think my dad realized that at a very early age that I was a person who wanted to be challenged. And so uh, he got me involved in being a part of, you know, T-ball and uh, flag football and basketball, all that kind of stuff. And uh, if I wanted to make money, uh, he'd tell me, well, go get a lemonade stand And I'd be out there selling lemonade, you know, and and doing that kind of thing. We'd sell vegetables, you know, if my mom didn't can them fast enough. And um, and I'll never forget one time. uh, I said, hey, Dad, I want to get a slushie at Kmart. And he said, okay. And I said, well, I think I might ride my bike. He's like, I think that sounds like a good idea. Go ride your bike. I was five years old. Kmart was two miles away. You had to cross multiple streets that had fast traffic. He was just like, "You can do it," you know. Think about that. Five years old, you know, but he stretched me. Like I said earlier, uh, the the church that he pastored, uh, there were a lot of acres acres to it, and so they had a a, a group of people that would mow. Uh, everything, and and they had this big tractor, and he really wanted me to hang out with this guy named Earl. Earl was deaf, couldn't hear very well, but he was a hard worker, and my dad wanted me to be around him, and so uh, Earl taught me at the age of seven how to uh, drive a tractor with those big, you know, big blades and all that kind of stuff, and how to shift, and uh, my My mom said, well, do you think he's too young for that? My dad's like, nah, he's all right, you know. And I learned how to do that. And then I had to learn how to actually do a push mower. Same age, six or seven. And I remember push mowing, and I had these uh, flip-flops, you know, that I'm using as I'm uh, mowing. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow on the back end of the flip-flop, it got cut off underneath the mower. And I go up to my dad, and I said, Dad, my, my flip-flops while I was mowing it, it got cut off. He's like, don't do that again. <laughs> and then the next day, I was mowing again with just a cut-off flip-flop. You know what I mean? It just was that kind of thing. He wanted to stretch uh, me in areas of work. I can remember in high school, not only was a person that worked hard, but he wanted me to have a real heart for people who were the least of these. And so uh, he sent me to New York City and Washington, D.C. to feed the homeless that were there. I took a train, Amtrak train there. I'm serving the homeless. And uh, during one of the times, I decided I'd walk out just by myself to uh, New York or to uh, uh, the uh, Times Square. And uh, Times Square in the late 80s is not what Times Square is now. Times Square in the late 80s was like the armpit of New York City, and there was a little drug that was out during that time called crack, and they would have these little vials of crack, and I thought it would be good to pick these up and bring them back to like people and explain, hey, you know, this is a problem, and so I'm picking these up, and all of a sudden, all these druggies start coming to me, and they want to buy drugs, and I have these little vials, so I'm like freaking out, you know, and I get back to the hotel, and I call my dad, and I'm like, Dad... This was horrible. You know, we were at Times Square, and they had these little crack vials. And, you know, da, 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 da And I'm telling him everything. He's like, okay, be safe, buddy. Click. What was that? Stretching opportunity. I remember in college, uh, he wanted me to travel the world. And so I shared this a couple of weeks ago. But uh, went to uh, Europe and Asia and Africa. Uh, The Gulf War broke out in 1991. There were pro-Iraqi demonstrations outside the hotel that I was in. They closed the International Airport. We were the last touring group out of there. But my dad really wanted me to experience the world. And this is the thing that it taught me. First of all, I don't doubt the abilities that God has given to me. And secondly, I have a confidence to tackle things. And that goes to a direct correlation to the fact that my dad gave me stretching opportunities. Now, dads, if you have young kids especially, you are tempted to be a helicopter dad. In other words, to be around them, to make sure that they don't get hurt, to protect them and all that kind of stuff. I just want to encourage you, don't do that. Give them opportunities. Maybe not dry, you know, riding a bike five or two miles, you know, to get a slushie. But give them stretching opportunities. This past week, uh, my youngest daughter uh, Shiloh, we were at a hotel, and we were eating breakfast, and she's like, "Dad, um, we need to go up to the room." And I said, "Well, I don't need to go up to the room." She goes, "Dad, I gotta pee." I was like, well, go up to the room. But that, I have to do it by myself. I'm like, yeah, you can do it. And uh, so she goes to the elevator. It was one of those glass elevators so you could kind of see. And she gets in it, and the poor kid could not remember what number floor we were on. So her little face is up against the glass like this, and I just put up four fingers like that. So she goes back over. She puts four. She goes up to the fourth floor. She walks out. She's walking. Again, I can see where she's at. And she yells down, Dad, 40. what's the last number? And I go, and she went and she did it all by herself. She took the little key, put it down, went to use the restroom, came back down and joined us. I just want to encourage you, as dads especially, give your kids stretching opportunities so that they become independent. I don't want my kids dependent on me. I want them to be independent. I want them to see the world as a learning center, not something that they need to be afraid of. Last thing, spiritual heritage. Spiritual heritage. I say this for last because, to me, it's the greatest treasure that my dad actually gave to me. A spiritual heritage. At the core of my dad growing up and today is his love for God. Jesus said this. Let's read it out loud together. Uh, You don't have to do the Jesus reply, but let's read the rest of it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And I remember my dad memorizing that, wanting me to memorize it, and he lived it out. My dad loves God, not because he feels obligated to love God, not because he thinks he's going to hell if he doesn't love God. He loves God because God is the heavenly father. I remember as a little kid in the church that he pastored, uh, we had hymnals. Hymnals basically were books where there was music in each of them. And uh, these hymns would be there, and we would be singing this together. And I remember my dad would always lower this down so that he and I could sing together because he thought it was important. And we'd sing these hymns together, and one of them was called Greatest Thy Faithfulness. And I would look up at my dad, and he would just be singing to his full heart, worshiping God, singing this song. And he was Horrible. I mean, he is the worst singer known to man. I mean, they would turn his mic way down any time a hymn came on because it would just be horrible. But I remember as a little kid just thinking how cool it was that he, like, invited me to be a part of worshiping God. And as I remember as a little kid like looking up at him and thinking, man, I want to have that kind of conviction. To be able to worship God and to to lift him up no matter what. And I've seen that with my dad when he's singing or when he's reading the Bible or when he's praying. And my dad loves the church. He'd do anything for the church. That's why when he moved here, the very first thing he said is, what can I do? He's never understood people who sit on the sidelines of the greatest institution the world has ever known, the church of Jesus Christ. Well, my dad loved God, but he also loves people. Again, Jesus said this. Let's read it out loud. It's the whole verse. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So, to love God and then to love other people. Jesus said, those are the two most important things you can do in life. And I watched the Father who lived that out. And he did it in times when it wasn't popular to do so. In the 1960s, my dad went to Chicago to march with Martin Luther King Jr. when civil rights first hit. In the 1970s, in Marion, Indiana, there was a huge race riot. My dad was the only white pastor who walked where the broken glass was all over the streets and people had guns and it was madness in Marion, Indiana. And he walked arm in arm with African American pastors because he wanted people to see that God's love knew no color. And he had this ability of instilling that with me at a very early age of the importance of loving your neighbors. And that's why it's really important for me that we as a church love our neighbors. In fact, I would uh, challenge you to really think about how you love your neighbor. Tomorrow night... uh, as we've been talking about, we've talked about this concept of cookouts. I think we'll have a little slide that comes up. But cookouts for Jesus. Again, Jesus might be there. He might not in physical form. But the whole point is that you do something for him. And so tomorrow night, uh, we've invited our neighbors to come over. And their family's going to come. We're going to have a cookout together. And... There's something, dads, that you can do, is you can be the leader on this. You can say, we're going to invite some neighbors to come over, and we're going to love our neighbors, because that's what Scripture says. And this is the reason why I'm doing this. First of all, I love God. Secondly, I love my neighbors. But a third is that I want my girls to see that it's important that we don't just have neighbors who... Are beside us, but we actually know them, and they're in our homes, and we love them, and we hope that one day they will get connected to god and so at a very early age, my dad instilled that importance of loving your neighbor and he loved his family he loves his family my dad is a a very affectionate person and uh, I can never remember a time in my life when I didn't get off the phone or we were getting out of the car together and saying goodbye that he didn't say, hey, buddy, I love you. And he would give me hugs and kisses when in middle school and high school, it's the most embarrassing thing in the world. You're like, are you serious? And he would like kiss, I'm like, get away, you know? And, uh... My wife, Jennifer, we were talking about this over the past couple of weeks, and I remembered that when we first got married, she came up to me one day, and she said, you will not believe what happened. I was like, what? She said, your dad kissed me. And then she paused, and she goes, on the lips. And then I said, welcome to the family, and then, you know, just (laughs) just go on. This is what's cool. My wife now, who was not raised in an affectionate family at all, she kisses our girls on the lips all the time. And it's a direct correlation to someone who said, I'll love God, I'll love my neighbor, I'll love my family. You know, I was thinking about it. That if my dad would have just been a casual Christian, if he would have been a passive Christian, if he would have just said, I'll come to church whenever I want to one way or the other, I have a feeling I would have went down that same road. But he never gave me the option. There are many dads here that are living out their faith in the same way. And I want to commend you and encourage you to continue to do so. I know that there are dads here today that are living out of faith, not because they want points, not because they get to heaven, but because they want to honor God and they want to show a role model to their kids. Now, one last thing before we're done. And I'm sharing this because I really think it's an elephant in the room. It's an elephant in the room. And it's a big elephant for a lot of you. And this is the elephant. Some of you have lists that your dad didn't do for you. Big, long list. And the actual gifts that he gave you, or something that he did for you, is so small. In minute, you don't even know what it would be that you could say. So what about that? And I can relate to this a little bit. And I talked to my dad and he gave me permission to share this. In my mid-twenties, there was something within me that was so angry at my father. He had done many things that were wonderful But there was one gift that I wanted the most that I never got from him growing up as a kid. And it was time. It was time. You see, he was a very, very busy person. He had a lot of things on his schedule. And and he'll even tell you today that if there's anything that he regrets the most is that he made the church more important than his family. And so... I don't have very many memories of my dad and I, like, doing something together of fishing or even shooting baskets. I don't, I don't remember that. And I'll never forget in high school, I was running in the sectional, biggest sectional in all of Indiana, Lawrence North. And I was running the half mile. And I was seated eighth, and only the top three advanced to regional. And in the last corner, I passed two guys from Lawrence North, and then I held off a kid from Noblesville, and I crossed the line, and I ran the half mile under two minutes. Any of you that know anything about track and high school, if you run under two minutes, that's like really good. And I crossed the finish line, And I saw all these kids go up to their parents and they were hugging them. And I looked up and my dad wasn't there. And it wasn't the first time that he wasn't there. There were multiple times he wasn't there. And that really was something in my 20s that I really struggled with that I didn't have those kind of times or memories. And so... I had to process that. We processed it together. Now, here's the funny thing. He's a grandfather now of two kids. He doesn't miss anything. In fact, uh, my youngest daughter, Shiloh, is on the swim team, which mainly means she gets in the water. And then she takes that, you know, the dividing rope, and she just kind of holds on to it all the way to the other side. And he will go two times this week to watch her do that, and he'll think it's the greatest thing in the world. He, uh, my oldest daughter Jordan was playing soccer, and he took her to some practices, and it rained. He went out and sat in the rain with an umbrella. All the other parents went to the cars. I'm like, Dad, what were you doing? You can go sit in the car. He's like, oh, no, no, no. I want to be there for all of it. I'm like, dude, you missed everything. For me? Well, maybe for some of you, your list of what your dad didn't give you is a lot longer than that. Maybe it's a huge list of what your dad didn't give to you. But I want you to listen to me on this. No one gets a perfect dad. No one. No one gets a perfect death. And what's really important, maybe more than anything else, is naming what the thing is that you didn't get, processing how it how you need to, and then forgive the guy. <laughs> like forgive the guy. He did the best that he could in the situation that he was in. Maybe for whatever reason, it wasn't the best of anything, but forgive the guy. And I finally had to do that. And I had to stop saying, well, he wasn't there for me and uh, he didn't do this or he didn't do that. And he hurt me this way and that way. And finally, I just had to forgive him and do it face to face. Maybe for some of you, your dad's dead or you have a relationship with your dad that is absolutely horrible. But you can forgive him. It doesn't mean you have to trust him at the same level. It doesn't mean that you forget everything. But you can forgive and make that a decision today. And this is the thing. All sons... All daughters get so much better when they forgive their fathers. And you know why I know this? Because it wasn't that hard for me to forgive my dad, because this is what I started thinking about. Look how much the Heavenly Father has forgiven me. Like I am the worst sinner I know. I have said things, I have done things, I have thought things that are horrible. And if the God of the universe can forgive me, then I should be able to forgive my dad. And I did. You know, when we uh, first started, I gave these five gifts that my dad gave to me. They're up here. And this is my challenge to you. That you think of one... Maybe you can think of more than one, but at least one thing that you could tell your dad, because some of you, your, your dad's still alive. Why not tell him a few good things that he gave to you? And you know what, folks? I didn't pick up that list <laughs> during a commercial of the U.S. Open. I thought through it. And I shared that with my dad this week. And it was so meaningful to him. And I can't tell you how meaningful it would be to your father if you actually sat down and you wrote down a few things from a sincere heart of the good gifts that he gave to you. And everybody wins when you do that. And for some of you, you might say, well, my dad's dead. Or I don't even know where my dad's at. If your dad's dead, write it out. Go to the cemetery. Leave it there. Forgive him. Give Him the good gifts that He gave to you. If you don't know who they are, write it down. Give it to God. You have no idea how powerful this would be. So here's the question. What's your list? What's on your list? And it's my hope and prayer that many of you will take the time this week to write them out. Talk to your dad if he's still alive or send a letter and think of the good gifts that he gave you. Now, that list of the things that are not good gifts that are real horrible, don't give those to him today on Father's Day, okay? Wait till the July 4th comes and there's firecrackers and there's stuff, you know, he can't even hear it. You can just list all those things down. But can you do that? No, no, that's a question. You have to respond. Can you do that? Okay, let's stand for closing prayer.
1: Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you
0: are our Daddy, our Abba, when Jesus prayed to you, he used that word Abba, which means daddy. And you love us no matter what. And maybe there are some people here today who have said things or done things or thought things about their dad. And man, it they just are like, Ugh, forgive him today. And then give them the power to forgive their earthly fathers. God, we are so proud to be your children and for you to be our father. We are blessed to be your sons and daughters. Now, God, would you give us the courage to forgive our dads and to offer to them an honoring moment to honor your father by giving to them one or two or three or whatever kind of gifts that they gave to us. I pray this for Christ's name.